Welcome to Higher Ed Pulse, your Monday morning energizer covering insights and trends in higher ed marketing and enrollment. I'm Mallory Wilsey, bringing over 15 years of ed tech and marketing expertise to your earbuds. And I'm Seth O'Dell, joining the Pulse with my own adventures from leading marketing at top universities to founding Canahoma, one of the industry's fastest growing digital marketing agencies. Each week, we bring you the kind of insider insights you typically only find over cocktails with your pals at a conference. It's fast, it's fun, and it's designed for you, the busy higher ed professional. You're not just listening to another podcast. You're checking the pulse of higher education. Higher Ed Pulse is part of the Enrollify Network, a robust collection of podcasts designed to help higher ed professionals like you grow. Explore our other shows at enrollify.org. Enrollify is made possible by Element 451, the next generation AI student engagement platform, helping institutions create meaningful and personalized interactions with students. Learn more at element451.com. Welcome listeners to the debut of Higher Ed Pulse, your weekly spotlight on the latest in higher ed marketing and enrollment. I'm Mallory Wilsey, and I am thrilled to introduce and welcome my co-host, the one and only Seth O'Dell, founder and CEO of Canahoma, one of our industry's leading digital marketing agencies. Hey, Seth, what's up? Hey, Mallory. It is great to be here. I'm excited to be out of podcast retirement and back in the co-pilot seat with you. I cannot wait. So, uh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. What has it been, like 10 years? It's been a little over 10 years, actually, since I've hosted a podcast. So don't don't mind me if I'm a little rusty, uh, but I'll dust off. Wait, Seth, do you know how to host a podcast when you're not like syncing <laughs> up the wires for like 15 <laughs> different tools? Like I remember when you shared your workflow with me in like 2010. And I, I mean, I can't even remember what you used to use. There were so many things. It was a lot. It was. This has already been a much different experience, and it's making me realize maybe I could have come out of retirement a little bit sooner. Because I think people figured this thing out. So it's already been a smooth and seamless experience compared to what we dealt with, you know, a little over a decade ago. Oh my gosh. Well, I love it. And we're just going to get right into it because, I mean, we've kind of built this as the perfect thing for busy higher ed pros to be listening to. What's interesting? What's happening? You got it. So we talked when we first were going over the concept of this show, of like each of us will bring in maybe one interesting article, one interesting insight for the week. And so, of course, in our first episode, I had to bring up two because I can never follow rules correctly. Overachiever. <laughs> you know, that's a better way to look at it, actually. So the first article I wanted to share was one that I, I caught on Twitter, not from a news outlet I normally read, but it's from the Kansas Reflector. But the headline is Kansas University's Demolishing Old Buildings to Save Millions on Deferred Maintenance. And the subhead is so far 16.5 million spent on destruction avoids 80 million in repairs. And so this is a, a little bit of a specific article to this Kansas institution, but what it really highlighted to me, which is really interesting, was there's so many, you know, institutions, uh, in particular, institutions that are smaller, that are tuition dependent, that have kind of decaying, dilapidated, uh, or at least deferred maintenance campuses. 
And what are they going to do about them at a time when we have a demographic cliff coming? So we talk about the demographic cliff all the time, but one of the realities is that there's less students coming, but the physical space doesn't change. And so I just thought this was really, really interesting, that there are institutions out there that are spending their money to demolish buildings rather than repair them, because that's how much the reality of the shifting demographics in our space have already like been coming to the forefront and to, and to fruition. So, so to me, that was an extreme. I hadn't thought that people would be knocking down buildings rather than fixing them. <laughs> But that's the first. And so I thought that was the story I was going to bring. I was like, okay, like, you know, college is knocking down buildings. Maybe it's the end of the Lazy River movement and this whole bigger, bigger college campuses that we saw. And then, of, of course, you know, what, what came out, if folks had been paying attention the last few days, was Jeff Salingo put out a great article in the Chronicle that I think highlighted what's next. And so that article was talking about the new academic arms race. Competition over amenities is over. The next battleground is technology. And so for me, these two articles combined told a really interesting story, which is that, you know, the days of the physical campus being the predominant driver and the only recruiting strategy has sort of shifted. And now we're seeing this huge movement that this new kind of arms race is really coming down to technology and how folks are integrating it into the student learning experience, both to improve the experience, but also to improve outcomes for students. And so to me, I just thought that was just super interesting that like, you know, we came up in this industry at a time when it was bigger and better buildings and it was always larger cafeterias and crazier food and bigger amenities. And what it sounds like, in, and I think Jeff has told it well, and I think we're seeing it in that Kansas article is that the, the days of that are over. And like, this is sort of like a chapter change in our space. And I think that folks are going to be thinking a lot more about technology integration into the product. And so anyways, just that to me stopped me in my tracks. And I just thought, you know, colleges are knocking down buildings because there's not enough students to go at the same time that they're investing more than ever and to try to figure out best ways to integrate technology into the learning experience. And that maybe that's the new forefront where people are going to be paying the most attention. So those are the ones I wanted to bring forward. I thought it was super interesting. Two articles just made me rethink a little bit more about the traditional campus experience this week. I mean, it's over, right? Like it's over. What I experienced at a residential private liberal arts college in New England is not the future of this industry anymore. And and we think about the micro-credentialing that's going on and, you know, this tech-first education that I think the pandemic really helped us take big steps forward in. And, you know, I, I think about my cousins who are in their teens and they're selecting their institution and their criteria looks mm -hmm. wildly different than me, your pretty standard millennials <laughs> criteria looked like when I was picking a school to go to. I mean, it's over, right? Yeah, it totally is. And I think, you know, it's really interesting to think about what folks are thinking about from a program perspective and a learning perspective. The other thing it made me think is, you know, there's a lot of great examples of, you know, AI, AR, and VR being integrated into learning, in particular, like in the health fields and in STEM. There's some areas where you're, we're seeing like actual demonstrable improvements in outcome based on technology, which is great. But the cynic in me also read this article and thought like, okay, well, so what's the lazy river of AI? Meaning like, you know, 15 years ago, it was like a lazy river on campus or sushi all you can eat. So someone's going to be rolling that out now too. So like, where is the technology actually improving on the promise we're making to students? And then where are some schools going to try to leverage technology just to be sizzle and not so much steak? And I don't know what that is, but I hope if anybody out there knows what the lazy river of AI is, I'd love to know because some schools are going to find it and try to recruit on it before we realize that maybe it's more substance than substantive. But either way, the shift is real and it's here. So that was what I wanted to bring to you this week.
Yeah, listeners, part of our aim for this new show is we we want to hear from you. We want to interact with you, uh, especially on LinkedIn. And so please, you know, if if you have an idea of what that lazy river of AI is, like, let's start a conversation around that. Because 10 years from now, you know, what we're going to look back and listen to this episode and be like, oh, duh, <laughs> that, that was it. But, you know, we, we can't predict that today. And, and I am. I'm curious to hear what people say. You know, it's funny, Seth. I've had multiple clients when I was working at an agency, <laughs> multiple clients sell buildings so that they could afford a website redesign. So yeah, does not surprise <laughs> you. I, I have personally assisted in the sale of real estate in the past 12 months for an institution. That was to fund broader marketing, but that's the, yeah, that is real. If you can get out, yeah. you know, if you can liquidate your portfolio to fund some stuff, not a, not a bad strategy necessarily. All right. So I got to ask, though, before we move on, one thing that kind of stood out to me on these articles is that what about the institutions that can't meet these high tech solutions that become the expectation moving forward? What about the institutions that maybe can't go and sell a building or demolish one to save some money? Is this just going to widen the gap of, you know, those who can afford some of these innovations like AR and VR and those that can't? I mean, are we just exasperating some of these challenges? 100%. I think, you know, unfortunately, we are in a large, mature, commoditized industry that is experiencing kind of contractions and reductions. So this is exactly right. I think it's an example that we're going to see the big get bigger. And we saw, you know, other news coming out last week about ASU's partnership with OpenAI. And mm-hmm. it's like, you know, that's no surprise. Um, they have a great R&D budget and really good leadership. But yeah, I think we're going to continue to see by and large, the larger institutions continue to grow and the small institutions continue to struggle, which is really unfortunate. And I do think open source technology can change some of that, but a whole lot of this is enterprise and not going to be. And so I do think that divide is going to grow. And I think that's definitely a concern and probably a good topic for us to cover maybe in a future conversation. Yeah, I agree. Hey, everyone, it's Mallory. I'm hosting the Engage Summit this summer in Raleigh, North Carolina. The theme of the conference is AI Got You. We're not just talking theories. This conference is your guide to understanding and applying AI at your institution. By the end, you won't just get AI. You'll be ready to lead your campus through an AI transformation. It's for everyone who wants to use AI to level up everything you're doing. Whether your focus is to recruit or retain, the Summit offers a platform to learn, network, and bring back actionable insights to enhance your student engagement strategies. I hope you'll join me and some of your favorite Enrollify creators in Raleigh on June 25th and 26th, like Jamie Hunt, Dustin Ramsdale, and Allison Tercio. Use the discount code Enrollify50, and you can register for just $99. So join us at the Engage Summit this June. Learn more and register at engage.element451.com. We can't wait to see you there. All right, we're going to pivot now over to a viral LinkedIn post that I caught. Yes, I, you know, I'm I'm laying in bed last night just scrolling my LinkedIn feed like I do on, a, what, Monday nights. And I caught this post from Jamie Hunt, who is one of our other Enrollify creators. Great show, Confessions of a Higher Ed CMO. Little plug for that. But Jamie was flying out to Phoenix and had some time to reflect. And I'm not going to read her whole post. We'll link to it in the show notes. But essentially what Jamie's saying here is there's a problem with 
what higher ed marketers are focusing on. And we can get really easily caught up in the daily minutia of producing content and sending emails and kind of lose sight of our why, right? What what brought us to maybe working in this industry? Why do we stay in this industry? And for many of us, I think she's spot on. For many of us, it is that we believe we are making really positive impacts and changes in students' lives especially for campus-based marketing and enrollment professionals. I got to imagine that is what is driving every single day, right? The, the meaning behind the job. So she says, you know, I looked out of my window seat watching the sun dip below the horizon, and I was reminded that our work is like her travel journey. It's not just about the destination, but also about the path we take, the lives we touch, and the change we inspire along the way. And this has clearly hit a chord. There are nearly, I'm sure by the time this episode airs, there will be over 100 reactions and probably 30 plus or many, many more comments and reposts. And there are a lot of folks in the comments saying, you nailed it here. Like This is focusing on impact over volume, transformation over transaction, using storytelling as a tool for change and kind of thinking about the legacy and the long-term impact of all the work we're doing. It's, it's really easy to forget about that when we're, you know, waking up and crossing off the the task list. You know, I, I, I think this struck a chord with me, Seth. What about you? It really did. I, I'm you know, a very big fan and admire Jamie a lot. I found this post to be really interesting. There was a lot, a couple components to it. You know, she talked about, um, you know, the difference between transactional and transformational. And so often, even myself, you know, I'm a performance marketer and we can be so focused on the numbers and forget sometimes that what we're really talking about is propelling an institution forward from a missional perspective and a larger values perspective. To me, it's really about like balancing inspiration and information and not getting caught on this treadmill of just like marketing tactics and strategies that never change day to day and forgetting like who we are and who we work for and what we do. I just thought it was really poignant. The response was significant. And I think the response to me is what made this even me stop in my tracks was not just, I mean, she, she's a great writer. She, she spoke really eloquently and I found her insights really poignant, but it was how much people felt like heard and seen by this. And so it highlighted to me mm. that there's been a lot of headlines lately externally about this national national kind of crisis and confidence in college. And that like, you know, there there is a consumer confidence shift in college. That is a separate conversation for a separate day. But this highlighted to me that there's also an internal concern and a crisis of confidence perhaps within higher ed marketers ourselves, which is that, you know, by and large, higher ed marketers are choosing to spend their time and their talents in this industry. Uh, we see folks leave all the time. And when they do, they often make more money and they often go work in, in for-profit ventures that can compensate them at a higher level. And so for many folks that are in this industry, it is very intentional to stay. You know, a lot of us didn't choose to start here, like a lot of us found our way into this, but we definitely choose to stay. And what I found in her post was this need to reflect and remind ourselves on why that is and not lose sight of that. I was inspired by the post. If people haven't read it, I think they should. It just made me step back and, you know, it's so easy to be ground level. And quite literally, her post was 30,000 feet. uh, And I thought it was just really brilliant. Yeah, that's excellent. I mean, the vision is inspiring. I think implementing it's going to require balancing that idealism with the more practical constraints yep. and, you know, the the needs of the audiences. And Very fair. Yeah, I was at a conference last year and was chatting with someone who said it takes them three weeks to respond to student inquiries because they are sitting on such a volume and and combined with the staff shortage that they're facing. So I deeply feel for folks who are in that scenario who would love 
love to reply to students within three minutes or three hours of that inquiry coming in, but have just everything piling up on their desk. So, you know, it's it's tough. It's tough. But I think, Jamie, in in a digital world where there is often so much negativity, right? Like, I think her post also resonated because it, it offered hope. And, you know, at the beginning of the year, isn't that what we're all looking for? Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, the timing of this could could be not not be better. It was really, really, really interesting. Incredible. Well, all right, friends, that is a wrap on our very first episode of the Higher Ed Pulse. All right. But folks, stay tuned because this Thursday, February 1st, we're dropping here on the Higher Ed Pulse, our first in-depth mini series, a guide to graduate marketing in 2024, hosted by Shane Biglini from Muhlenberg College. This special four-part series covers graduate program marketing, the student experience, the role of AI and other technology, and even future projections with some incredible guests. You're not going to want to miss it. Love it. And folks, if you don't want to miss one of our episodes here with The Pulse with Mallory and I, please take a moment to subscribe. You can find Higher Ed Pulse on any of your favorite podcast platforms. And, you know, if you like what you heard today, please consider leaving us a review. It really does help us reach more higher education professionals like you, especially early on. And also find us online and join and share the conversation. This is episode one, but we promise many more. And we are really looking forward to it. I cannot wait. So um, please subscribe. Watch your calendars rolling out each Monday. We could not be more excited for what's to come and more grateful to you for joining us for episode one. You're on the ground floor of something fun. It was a blast, Seth. I'll see you next week. Sounds good. Can't wait. The Higher Ed Pulse is part of the Enrollify Podcast Network. If you like this podcast, chances are you'll like other Enrollify shows too. Our podcast network is growing by the month, and we've got a plethora of marketing, enrollment, and higher ed technology shows that are jam-packed with stories, ideas, and frameworks, all designed to empower you to be a better higher ed professional. Our show helps higher ed marketers and admission pros find their next big idea and features a selection of the industry's best as your hosts. Learn from Brian Gross, Eddie Francis, Jenny Lee Fowler, and so many of your favorite leaders in higher ed. Enrollify is made possible by Element 451, the next generation AI student engagement platform, helping institutions create meaningful and personalized interactions with students. Learn more at element451.com.